if uh, the proceedings so far this morning has been um, a novel, then the reading this morning is the bibliography number one. And so the reading can be found in our Pew Bibles on page 820. It comes from 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, reading from the NIV version, the first nine verses. It's entitled, Paul Defends the Collection. Generosity is Encouraged. And so now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do so as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. I like that, Jim Asobi. Uh, if, if, well, I like what you said at the beginning. I like how you prefaced your reading when you said, if what we have experienced in this room thus far was a book, here's bibliographical reference number one. Basically saying, if you want to know more about this in print, here it is. That was beautifully put. I wish I could have said that was mine. Uh, but that was beautifully put. Uh, I would encourage you uh, in that spirit to keep your Bible open there to 2 Corinthians 8. We really have a sermon in two parts this morning. The first part, we really do kind of plow through God's Word here, and then I'm going to divert into a different uh, direction with the help of a writer whom I've spoken of uh, recently. Uh, but I think, again, that's just beautifully put. I, I, I can't think of a passage that captures uh, uh, what we've experienced here this morning, my goodness, between the gorgeous prelude, Molly's gorgeous song, uh, Bill's very moving word about giving, uh, Caleb's excellent prayer. I mean, I've already been blessed thus far. As Keith was saying, he felt like dancing earlier. It reminds me of uh, what it says in chapter 8 there of Second Corinthians verse 2 where it says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I have already welled up this morning 
uh, spiritually and, and emotionally just getting to experience what I've experienced in here. So let's keep that in mind as our bibliographical reference as we press on with this. Now, let's be honest. This is a passage about giving and, and giving financially, and there's no way around that. And Paul, as Bill Wad put so well earlier, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to give in the way that the Macedonians have been giving, even though the Macedonians have been facing trials the likes of which the Corinthians have not even experienced, and yet they are being so generous and so joyous and so spontaneous in their giving. He is saying that the Macedonians give the way that God desires, and really it's the way he desires that you and I give. So that's where we're going this morning. So is this a stewardship sermon? Yes, but let me go on and give you a qualifier, the same qualifier that Paul gave to the church at Corinth. Look with me in verses 8 and 9, first of all. He says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become Rich. Now, let's be family for a moment. Let's be tribe. I like even the word family better for this. I could not compel you to give. I don't have the authority really to do it, nor do I have the desire. I could not if I would, and I would not if I could. Uh, and the thing is, it's not a matter of external compulsion when it gets down to it. It's a matter of inward passion, inward joy, because of how much God has given to you and to me. And I love being around that kind of passion. We've experienced it this morning with worship thus far. And what was wonderful this past week is that I was around it, uh, especially the 24 hours I was with the youth down at Laguna Beach. Went down there to visit with them, be with them for part of beach retreat. And it's just so great to be around youth who are there just having a great time, having a great desire to be together, and a desire to worship. And I love worshiping with them down there with the wonderful group called Clemency, which leads the worship. We had some great preaching last week from Jason Cook, former NFL football player, and, and, and it was just wonderful. And I thought, I, and I remember looking around at them as we were worshiping, and I thought, what would they want to hear about giving? Now, they're, to be honest, in a different station of life where they are less concerned about fiscal years and budgets and financial decisions and what the financial co- uh, finance committee thinks. All of those things are important, but I thought, what would they want to hear? What would speak to their passion, their own passion for giving? And and I'll share something later that I think will speak kind of to where they would be with all that. But let me say again, giving is a grace. it's, It's a way of giving back to God who gave up his only son, his son who was richer than anything in the world and yet became poor for our sake. And so it's a grace for us. It's a privilege. It's an act of gratitude to give back. And that's exactly what Paul says. Everywhere Paul planted a church, he instructed that church in stewardship, particularly the churches in what was the country of Macedonia, Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. And Paul uses those churches as an example for the Corinthians here. In fact, he says to the Corinthians, you excel in other areas, but you need to work on this one. Look at verse 7 with me, if you would. He says, but since you excel in everything, he could have said everything else, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this 
He doesn't just say giving. What does he say? See that you excel in this what? Grace of giving. Doing it for the right reasons. Giving the way God desires that you give. And, and, and Paul is careful to note the difficult circumstances that these Macedonian churches have been facing. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, like those in Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, it says that they faced very severe trial. Where it says very severe there, the adjective there in the Greek really means prolonged trial. Something that they have been facing over and over again. Not just a sudden crisis, but something that has made it difficult. You talk about a difficult economic crunch that's been going on for years. Poverty that's been going on for years. And the word trial there is a word they use for for pressure. It's the kind of pressure that was used to grind wheat back then. Now, were they really under that severe, prolonged pressure? Indeed, they were. Study your history. The Roman armies moved eastward, conquered Macedonia, including all of those cities. And what did they do? They appropriated all of the gold mines, silver mines, iron ore mines, and copper mines all throughout Macedonia, which had been a source of wealth. They also appropriated all of the salt mines, which the Macedonian cities had been using to pay the Romans off so they wouldn't conquer them. And so now the salt mines that they had been used to pay the Romans were just taken over by the Romans. And finally, the timber industry, which was rich. The Romans wanted those in order to build their ships, and so they took that away from Macedonia. In fact, as one historian said, Macedonia was basically stripped away. And the Roman historian named Livy said, and I quote, the Macedonians considered themselves a country that had been lacerated and left writhing on the ground. And yet, and yet these people who were in this prolonged crisis, this severe trial still welled up inside to the point where out of that welling up they gave so generously and spontaneously and joyously. And add to their abject poverty their persecution for their faith. And yet they still continued to give. And it says they gave out of their extreme poverty. Literally that means they gave out of the very bottom of poverty in which they found themselves. The word there in the Greek is bathys. That's where you get the word bathysphere. You know what a bathysphere is? Do you ever see the movies about going to the bottom of the ocean and looking at the Titanic? The bathysphere is that spherical manned deep diving uh, machine that you get into and go all the way to the bottom of the ocean. They were at the very bottom when it came to poverty. And yet welling up inside of them was this generous spirit, this grateful spirit of joyous generosity. Because they knew that Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor for all of us, ultimately dying a poor pauper on the cross. And Paul makes it clear, number one, I can't compel you to do this. I hope you will do it out of gratitude and out of joy for what Jesus did for you. He goes on to say, you know, I don't expect all of y'all to give the same. He basically says, I don't expect equal gifts, but I expect equal sacrifice. Let's skip down to verses 13 and 14. He says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it was written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And it's proportional. 
He's not saying equal giving, but equal sacrifice. And you get to verses 3 and 4, and what's beautiful is, is really the Macedonians themselves took the initiative and say, hey, we hear about all this other giving. Can we play? We want to give. Look at verses 3 and 4, finally. For I testify that they gave as, this is the Macedonian churches, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They pleaded, hey, can we be a part of this? Can we give? And, you know, I think about Brookwood Baptist Church, one thing I hear about a lot, and I hear a lot of great things about how missional we are, what a great family we are, what fellowshippers we are. I hear a lot about how often and how effectively we respond when one of us is in crisis. I hear about that a lot, both amongst ourselves and outside, which is always wonderful to hear. And, and, and I thought to myself the other day, can we respond that way on a consistent basis as we give? Not out of something you know, negative crisis-wise, but something just positive in terms of just what God has graced us with on an ongoing basis. Can we keep up with God, or at least try harder to keep up with God in terms of giving back joyfully and spontaneously? Now, as I said earlier on, I was singing with the youth uh, at the beach, and, and, and I just love the passion of these youth. Uh, I'm going to tell you to do something because I want you to focus on pictures and, and what I'm reading. So I'm going to ask you to close your Bible. I know that's heretical for a preacher to do. But I'm going to read something to you in just a moment that I want you to, to have ears to hear. And it takes a few minutes, but I want you to stay with me. I was singing with those youth at the beach and, and, and just the passion that they had. It was just so beautiful, just so beautiful to be around. It's kind of that passion that, that we've experienced even here this morning, and I was reminded of, a writing, reminded of a writing by Ann Voskamp, whom I've mentioned recently. She's the author of a book called A Thousand Gifts. She has a blog that is read now, I'm sure, by thousands and thousands of people. She's a wonderful Christian writer. And recently, she took a trip to Uganda. She went with a group of Compassion International representatives because she wanted to meet the young girl whose name is Anna, whom she had been sponsoring since 2008. Well, just this past month, she found herself in Uganda meeting up with Anna, and I think I might have talked about their, uh, the first time they were actually able to meet in person. I think I talked about that a few weeks ago. But I found a very provocative writing of hers in there, and this is what she wrote the day after she attended a church service in a very poor village church service where her, her sponsored child Anna is. <clears throat> and I was very moved by it <clears throat> and very challenged by it. It is entitled, A Letter to the North American Church, Because It is Time. And as I read, I think we might have some pictures that that Philip might be able to put up here. And these are pictures of that Sunday when she was there to worship with them. And as I read, you are welcome to follow along and watch some of these pictures. But, But also have ears to hear. Open up your ears to what she has to challenge us with today. Dear North American Church, after a Sunday morning in Africa... You don't look the same to me. You look hungry, hungrier than anything I've seen in Africa. Because after I watched that Ugandan woman, that one woman with no shoes and no husband and seven kids walk up to the front of the church and put this bag of beans into the basket as her love offering to God, my heart ached this raw conviction that I could feel with you, North American church, what you really wanted You are hungry to love like this. You are hungry for the uncomfortable. 
You are hungry to sacrifice your gourmet coffees, your Netflix subscription, your dinners out for something more. You are hungry for more than vanilla services and sweetened programs and watered-down lives. You are famished for more, for hard and holy things, for some real meat for your starved soul, some real dirt under your fingernails, some real sacrifice in your veins, some real Jesus in your blood and in your hands and in your feet. When I sat under a tree in Africa for True Love Baptist Church's Sunday school class, sat in the class with our sponsored child, Anna, a class that had no million-dollar roof, no walls, no chalkboard or crayons, papers, flash, glitz, or gloss, just one tree and one grinning pastor with a falling-apart Bible, I could hear your restlessness, North American church. When that pastor stood under that tree on a Sunday morning, and told the kids dressed up in not a lot more than tattered rags, God lets us give just like the widow's offering. He was smiling like he swallowed the infamous infamous original canary. He couldn't stop laughing giddily, telling them, you don't have to wait to have more, you don't have to have much, you don't have to wait at all. And I'm looking into the eyes of all these African children all these hungry, dancing eyes, and the pastor is literally dancing under the tree, shouting, you all get to give. It's not just the rich who get to give. It's all those who give who get to be rich. You don't wait until you have more before you give to God. You give now so you get to become more in God. The children are all smiling and singing, And there's all this light coming like dappled deliverance through the leaves. Bring your only mango to Jesus, the pastor says, waving his hands in extravagant joy. Bring your one handful of beans. Bring your one heart overflowing with song. It's not having much that makes you rich. It's the giving much that makes you rich. Give and you are the rich. And I'm sitting under a tree in Africa with the richest people in the world. And it's not Bill Gates, and it's not Warren Buffett, and it's not Mark Zuckerberg. And it's not the family with two cars, a flat screen television, and one week at Disney. It's a bunch of kids in Africa in ripped shirts and torn shoes who have no knives or forks and sleep on floors. It's only the people who give sacrificially who get to live richly. And I bow my sorry head. The pastor invites us to sing. I'm not sure how to find my feet. I am not sure how to let go. I'm not sure how to live. The song begins a cappella. Heart's the only instrument we all have. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. African voices, deep and strong, join ours. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. I sing the words, looking out at a congregation of worn-out clothes, hanging over tired backs and hungry bellies and willing hands. I sing the words, looking into the whites of eyes and weathered ebony faces. And then I am only mouthing the words, like there's no voice left in me. Like there's no way I can sing that soon and very soon we're all going to see our Father. When I'm living like this and my brothers and sisters are living like that. When too many North Americans diet for a hobby and too many Africans die for a meal. 
when our churches have building budgets and our sisters have dying children. We aren't playing games anymore. We aren't just singing ditty choruses here. If God is real, if the King of kings and Lord of lords is really on the throne, if we are all going to see Jesus, our King, face to face soon and very soon, then there's a whole lot of us who are wild to change things soon. And I mean now, for such a time as now. I'm standing in Africa, and it is we who want hard and holy things because we want more than hollow lives. It is we who want our children to know the more life, a life more than self-focus and cell phones, more than iPhones, iTunes, iPads, and I love. who want to know more the more life of loving the least, the lonely, and the lost, and tasting the joy of God. We are the tribe of Christ And it is we who are done with our church buildings rising like these seemingly indifferent polished towers toward the sky, right in the face of our brothers and sisters drinking down muddied water, crowded into living quarters smaller than our bathrooms, barely scraping together enough food to stave off relentless hunger pangs. It is we who are done with hardly even remembering them, let alone praying for them. I am standing in Africa, and it is we who are saying to the North American church, be concerned for the poor, but be no less concerned for us rich who claim not to be rich so we can excuse ourselves from giving. Be concerned for the poor, but no less concerned for us who have done just enough to assuage our consciences, just enough to pat ourselves on the back, but not enough that we've ever really felt sacrifice. Be concerned for the poor, but no less concern for us who aren't, because someday we will face Christ. I'm standing in South Africa, and you can hear the whole North American church rising up, crying out, what if caring for the poor was more than just caring about easing our consciences? What if caring for the poor meant feeling sacrifice for the poor? What if we weren't really feeling care for the poor until we were really feeling sacrifice for them? North American church... It is time. We are all done with no risk, no sacrifice, no point lives. It is time. We are all done with the drug of comfortable and dare to live the dream of uncomfortable. It is time. We're all hungry for uncomfortable because we're hungry for God and he is outside of our comfort zones. This is what faith is. Our compassion-sponsored child named Anna She slips to the front of the church before the pastor offers communion. She whispers whispers the first line of a skit. Madam, madam, what is a life to love? I sort of can't believe I am sitting here hearing this, and her sister steps up beside her. Do you not know, sister, having many beautiful things, this is a life to love? And Anna shakes her head. Sister, this is not it. Anna smiles toward us, and I smile back blinket back. Her sister throws her arms back in disgust, and Anna asks another little girl, Madam, Madam, what is a life to love? And a girl in a brave and dirtied white dress says her piece. Do you not know, sister, having much money, this is a life to love. And the whole congregation shakes their heads knowingly, and I keep smiling at Anna, and the girl in the white little dress throws her arms back in despair. 
And then Anna moves her sister with her arms flung back to stand in front of her friend with her arms thrown back. And there they are on a Sunday morning in Africa, the seeking with arms spread open like a cross. The child we sponsored on Valentine's Day in 2008, she whispers it on a Sunday morning in Uganda in 2013. This, my friends, is what love is. A life laid down is a life to love. And something inside me hurts. That is us. A whole generation making itself like a cross. And the message is clear. Give away only a little now and enjoy most of your money to the most. And what you really get to be is beggars for all eternity. And so... May the North American church stretch open its arms willingly the way the hungry are fed when they open hands wide. Will you stretch out your arms, Church of North America? Will you give now, realizing that giving is the greatest of graces? Or will you be beggars? Let us lay down our lives and live the life to love. Let's bow our heads and have a moment of meditation. That's a strong word for you and for me. Realizing all that we have and all that we have to give. Lord, may we be like the churches in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica, those others who even under intense pressure, even in intense poverty, find like this beautiful church in Uganda the joy of giving whatever they have. May we do the same and do so with joyful hands and feet and hearts. Thank you for these examples in Scripture, O God. Thank you for this example, this beautiful church of fellow brothers and sisters once lost but now found, across the planet from us and yet so close to us. May they be our example this morning. And thank you that we have the grace, the gift of gifting back to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Bottom line, what Jesus says to us is, I gave my life for you. What will you give back to me? That's what we sing now at this point of invitation. And at this point of invitation, we call it that because you are invited not only to commit yourselves anew to this task of giving and showing God your gratitude, but also perhaps you might feel led to to join this church or you may feel led uh, to pass through the waters of baptism. We'll be baptizing a a young person in our second hour and you might feel led to do that same thing. You might want to move your church membership, whatever it might be. I'm going to be standing at the front so that you can make that public, public profession, whatever it might be. And all the more, if you choose not to do that, please choose where you stand and where you sing to really embody these words that we will voice together. Let's stand together and sing. I gave my life for thee, my bread. I shed that thou mightst ransom me and quicken 
from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? My Father's house of light, my glory circle throne. I left for earthly life, for wandering sad and born. I left, I left it all for thee, hast thou left all for me? I left, I left it all for thee, hast thou left all for me? I suffered much for thee, more than thy tongue can tell. A bitterest agony to rescue thee from hell. I bore, I bore it all for thee. What hast thou borne for me? I bore, I bore it all for thee. What hast thou borne for me? And I have brought to thee down from my home above salvation full and church in Uganda and I think of what a grace it is that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ aren't they and it's a privilege to know them and know that they are a part of our family and that one day we will meet them in joyful not reunion because we haven't met them before we'll meet them for the first time I look around at this beautiful congregation I consider it a grace to be a part of this this church family I hope that you do too that's a wonderful grace I think it's a grace just to be a part of a marvelous family like this And so with that, will we be joyful givers as he wants us to give? Let us be haunted by that through the day and blessed by it all the more. Let us bow for the benediction. Depart now in the fellowship of God the Father, and as you go, remember that by the goodness of God you were born into this world, and by the grace of God you have been kept all the day long, even until this very hour. And by the love of God, fully revealed in the face of Jesus, you have been redeemed And you are being redeemed. So much grace. And grace to give back. Amen.